webs go. Go web go. So we we have gotten some uh, some angry emails uh, regarding the Annals podcast on the Amazing Spider-Man film. Uh, this was our podcast fifty-seven. Um, we we got some emails uh, in the subject line. We've got a you asked for it ellipses, and uh, this is from our our biggest well our our, our second biggest fan after Tom Spielman. Uh, this is Deke Winsome, and uh, so he's just letting us know. Uh, you told us to write in angry emails, so here is all of my rage! Exclamation mark. I wish you guys had invited me on your Amazing Spider-Man show so that you could have had a counterpoint to the Raimi hate, comma, Garfield love. I get it. I know it's cool to say you hate Raimi's films. You see, after seeing ASM a second time, I have to say it is one of the worst superhero efforts of the past couple years. So I'm assuming he's seen, like, the new... Uh, you know, DVD, Blu-ray release and everything for the second time after seeing it in the theaters. Um, I fail to see how it's any more true to the comic than Raimi's movies. At least Raimi got the essence of Spider-Man. This movie just got a few more details right, but totally missed out on what Spider-Man is all about. In several instances, I think you guys were not even remembering the Raimi films correctly in many instances. And now we're going to take a brief pause from reading the email. Uh, so that uh, Mike, I think, wanted to uh, just say some things about the uh, not remembering things correctly. I was just going to say, like, first off, uh, I don't think, like you said, it's cool to hate on the Raimi films. And, like, you know, I don't think it's cool or new to say that. I mean, as long as I've talked to, like, Derek, he's been, like, fairly, like, lukewarm on the Raimi films at best, you know. And, you know, I thought the first two were, like, honest, really enjoyable efforts, but they're flaw- they've aged badly. Like, their flaws have become really apparent over time. And maybe, you know, Amazing's flaws will eventually, like, wear down on me eventually, but I thought that it's the movie's, like, emotional high points, like, outweighed a lot of those flaws. So, you know, I guess we'll see. Like, maybe in ten years I'll be like, you know, Amazing sucks. And, you know, the new sensational Spider-Man movie, you know, (laughs) you know, featuring whoever's playing Peter Parker is, like, where it's at now. But, you know, but uh, I I also wanted to say uh, we're not remembering stuff wrong, Deke. You're remembering stuff wrong. And I'll I'll bring it up when Derek continues. Okay. So uh, so he just wants to say, first, let's talk about your comparisons to the quote-unquote weaknesses of the Raimi films. Now, just for the record, I'm throwing out the third Raimi film. Uh, I think that's unacceptable, but I'm just going to say that while I'm reading this, which was junk. Um, however, uh, Amazing Spider-Man had all the same weaknesses of the Raimi films and a few more. You talked about Crying Parker? Question mark. He cried just as much in ASM as he did in the first two Raimi films. Organic web shooters? Question mark. How is stealing his web shooters from Oscorp and modifying them any better? Spider-Man can't keep his mask on? Yeah, that happens again and again in Amazing Spider-Man. Well, I was going to say... Uh, Spider-Man did not steal his web shooters from Oscorp. Uh, you're remembering that wrong, Deke, so take that, man. <laughs> no, 
in Amazing Spider-Man, he built his own web shooters, and he just modified, like, Oscorp's, like, whatever, their biopolymer cords or whatever to make his web. So he just kind of, like, reverse-engineered them. So Yeah, that, I, that's kind of how I took it, that it was just a reverse-engineering stuff. And basically, I, I was going to say, like, like, you pretty much always indicate, Derek, I think that's a lot better than a concept that was originally going to be, like, a metaphor for masturbation. So, you know, yeah. And uh, what else was there? Oh, the crying. Um, I don't. I don't think we complained specifically about like Peter crying in the Raimi films. I know. I know Brian kind of said he didn't like mopey like Peter, or like he he felt like you know Peter in the Raimi films didn't seem happy a lot. And I I kind of think that's just a consequence of like Tobey Maguire like naturally having that kind of like mopiness about him. <laughs> I don't know. What was the the story you were telling us about the the person that asked you about Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man and asked you if Tobey Maguire was in it? Oh, Justin? Yeah, oh, yeah. Was I, I was uh, at a friend's house today, and we were watching uh, TV, and a commercial for Amazing Spider-Man for the DVD Blu-ray was on, and she was like, man, is Toby, what's his face in this one? I was like, no, he's not in this one. It's like all new you know, actors and stuff. She was like, Oh, that's great because I love those movies, but I can't stand Tobey Maguire. And I was like, "Nah, eh, you know, don't worry, <laughs> he's not in this one at all." Yeah. Well, the only thing I, I I don't know if I complained about the crying Toby or not or whatever. Um, but I'll, I'll just go back to him throwing out the third film, which I don't <laughs> think is fair because crying Toby is at his worst in that third movie, like when they're in that bridge scene, and he just kind of has that scrunched up look on his face where he's kind of like, <laughs> you know, kind of. I mean, I don't know, like like that kind of stuff is like I think if if I did complain about the crying, I think that's what I probably would be focusing on. But I guess if you're throwing out the third film, I guess, I guess I don't have any ammo. You know, I can't even remember if he cried or not in the first two films. Cause I don't really care. Like I, I can't well, like in, in, in amazing. He cries when uncle Ben dies and he cries when captain Stacy dies. I mean, what was he not going to cry? Yeah, like yeah, there? yeah. I mean, so, well, you know, whatever. So, um, but, uh, Let's see. Okay, so we'll we'll keep going. Um, and finally, Parker himself. Uh, I'm sorry, but Toby's performance was heartfelt. There was a sweetness to his Peter Parker that Garfield's didn't have. Garfield's Parker had this hard edge to him. He was sullen and rude. He never thought of his Aunt May in ASM, just his quest, his own quest for revenge. To me, that was a significant departure from the Spider-Man I know and love. The Peter Parker I remember went to great lengths to protect his aunt from his double life. In ASM, he stands in the kitchen all cut up and bruised up, not giving any explanation other than a sullen look to his aunt, who is worried sick about his injuries. That's kind of an asshole thing to do. Not the Peter Parker I remember looking up to as a child. You know, I would say, like, Toby's Peter Parker does have, like, that kind of, I guess, like, what you said sweetness and gentleness about him but i don't know i think you gotta like look at like the peter parker that's in like the ditko stuff and you know that's a kid who's at his core he was good but he also had like a temper and a chip on his shoulder and i think that's really like 
a lot of Ditko's influence, where he wanted Peter Parker to be a total, like, outcast and stuff. And I can admit, like, you know, Amazing's Peter is more of a modernized take of that, like, outcast thing. And, you know, the skateboarding and, like, the neo-hipster stuff was a little going too far. But I I still think it, it was a lot closer to the essence of, like, you know, how Peter Parker was originally conceived. And, you know... Amazing Spider-Man's Peter Parker, like, stands up to Flash before he gets his powers. Um, Toby's Peter Parker, it seems like he needs Harry Osborn to stand up for him. Like, it doesn't seem like he has that confidence already. I don't know. I, that, no, just, no, I, 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 I agree with what you said. I mean, especially the Ditko stuff, just because, like, that, you know, I don't know. To me, it seems like... Like, that's kind of that element of, oh, he was a nerd with glasses, and obviously he got picked on for no real reason. Do you know what I mean? Like, there wasn't any other reason other than he was puny Parker or what have you, you know? So there's going to be that element of it. I mean, I guess what he's bringing up is kind of, you know, how he sees the familial relationship. And I know a lot of people are familiar with Spider-Man, you know, always... Kind of like, I can't, you know, walk through that door with my Spider-Man costume because my aunt's going to get a heart attack, you know, and all that stuff. And I guess that's interpreted as the, you know, the love and care and respect for his aunt. And and he's kind of bringing up the fact that he comes home, like, you know, bruised and all this other kind of stuff. But, you know, I think in terms of of the film trying to handle it in a quote-unquote, you know, edgy, dark, you know, realism type thing, I mean, you know, everybody goes through, you know, a grieving process in their own way. And, you know, it seems like that was kind of their way of, of showing how he was going through that process. I mean, are you always... Um, considerate of other people, maybe, when you do that. Like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, but, you know, to me, it's like, he is a kid, you know? Like, I mean, he is a teenager. I, I was, I was and, just to interject, yeah. too, yeah. I, w- I was going to point out that Sally Fields isn't, like, two steps from death, either. So Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, yeah, she's not on her deathbed or anything, like, right there. You know, it's like, as opposed to, like, you know, in the comics, if you, like, you know, sneezed at Aunt May, she might have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and, if you go, and then Aunt May's, like, you know, in the ambulance and shit like that. Um, but, uh, you know, like, I, I, I don't, I don't see Peter as an asshole, but I think, you know, like, you know, I guess, you know, Deke's just saying he sees it as, you know, that, that, uh, that he, he thinks some of the things Peter's doing are kind of asshole-ish, you know, and it's like, I don't well, know, like, the, the, you know. the Peter Parker I remember is the one who, like, when, like, Hawkeye melts off at him, he starts a fight with the entire team of Avengers and stuff, so, you know, uh, the Peter Parker I always remember from that, those early issues had, like, a temper and, like, you know, a chip on his shoulder all the time, so... Um, like, I would even go as far as, like, to defend the skateboard choice in this update. Like, I mean, I think it's when Pete enters com- the college in the comics, like, he gets a motorcycle... And yeah. like that, I mean, that's kind of like a cool, you know, hip status single for you, like, you know, back then. So, like, I see the skateboard is just like a new updating of that. You know, the skate- him getting a motorbike. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's cool. That's a good point. Okay, uh, I'll just keep reading here. Uh, the love interest was also poorly done in ASM. In the first two Raimi films, Peter has a crush. It happens to high school boys. They have crushes on girls that are out of their league. It takes MJ two movies to sort out her feelings for Peter, which is indicative of a lot of people in their late teens slash early 20s who may not understand what they're feeling and why. In ASM, Gwen is head over heels for Parker, no explanation given. 
the kid can't even mutter out a complete sentence and she's all over him. Where MJ was vulnerable and had daddy issues, Gwen is perfect. So perfect that even though she's only in high school, she's the one that gives tours at a science lab. I would say, well, Gwen was always, like, out of his league. So, I mean, you know, that I thought that was staying fairly true to, like, you know, her portrayal. And also, you know, she's... In the comics, she's, like, the first time she meets him, she's already attracted to him. I think his, like, I, I mentioned this, like, on the board, but, like, her first thought bubble about Peter Parker is something like, you know, he's much more intellectual than Flash, and he's very attractive, too. Well, I think <laughs> like, I, I think that's the key, though, the much more intellectual. Like, like they, they he's talking about, you know, that that there's no explanation given. You know, some things don't have to be spelled out, like on a piece of paper where Gwen has to say, I am attracted to you because you are the smartest person I've ever <laughs> met, and we have so much in common together. You know, like, they, they don't have to have a monologue or a scene like that. I mean, you know, they, they uh, to me, I thought they had a really good chemistry, and, and I thought that was reflected in that you knew they had common interests, that they both shared interests in science, and that she looked at him as, you know, uh, not only a peer, but somebody who she was, you know, physically attracted to as well, and that, that she shared a lot in common with. I mean, sometimes, you know, people are attracted to people that they, you know, they just see commonalities in where you're like, hey, you know, we yeah. share the same interests, you know, we, we have the same kind of goals in life and that kind of thing, and that can be oh. very attractive to someone of the opposite sex, I guess. Well, yeah, if, like, Peter and, like, MJ are, like, opposites attract, then, like, Gwen and Peter are, like, sames attract, kind of, yeah, yeah. pretty well, much, you know, you know. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of common interests and stuff like that. Also, Gwen doesn't conveniently live right next door to Peter, and he can't creepily see into her window while she's changing. <laughs> But yeah, like I, I really had no issue with Gwen at all. Like, like she, I thought she was perfectly in character with like how she was originally portrayed. You know, she's a she's a little go getter. She's like a daddy's girl, and she's like she's she's smart. Like she was in like Peter's science classes with you know in college and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I I I think I think it definitely leans more towards the. Uh you know, the Ramita Jr. and Gary, Jerry Conway years, you know, I guess, I guess the, the only thing I would say is that, you know, maybe in some of those early Ditko issues, she, she just maybe because of the way Ditko drew her or whatever it was, but. Oh, me, you mean, you mean I call her Vulcan Gwen? Well, I, I, to me, she always came off as a little cold and aloof, you know, almost bitchy where, you know, yeah, but I mean, I, I guess Vulcan is, is an easy she, did, way I don't, to, Ditko. Yeah, Ditko. Well, Ditko always drew, uh, drew her with like those weird eyebrows. So. I, I I would just say that Proto Gwen has more in common with the White Queen, and and I guess post Proto Gwen is is you know I I know people you know I I guess I think his problem is you know they I think he thinks that Gwen is a little Miss Perfect you know and and I don't know why people have a problem with that all of a sudden like what the big deal is or whatever but. You know, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, they, they set this girl up to be, you know, it, it's that kind of thing where you, you see your best friend and they, they, you know, get together with a girl and they're going to get married and, and you just think to yourself, wow, like, she's perfect for you. 
You know, like, I mean, I don't know. And if, if that's annoying to somebody, like, in context of a movie, I guess that's fine. I mean, it's their opinion, but I, I don't really have any problem with it, you know. Please, continue. <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, while Raimi embraced comic book logic, ASM's plot contrivances are so much worse. The lizard is Peter's dad's former lab partner, and finding out about him leads Peter to the lab where he is bit, which is the same lab his girlfriend works at, ellipses, come on already. Instead of the spontaneous shows of support from New Yorkers and the Raimi films, which were touching, we get the contrived idea that a crane worker calls his buddies in the middle of the night, parentheses, assuming none of these guys are in a union, and says... Hey, you know on the news that whole part of the city's being evacuated? Yeah, we need to all get down there and move our cranes. It's just a clumsy rewriting of what happened in the first Raimi film. Hell, the catalyst for it even started on a bridge, same as the Raimi film. Exclamation mark. Well, I'll take, like, I won't say the cranes are, like, perfect or anything, but I'll take that over, like, the spontaneous shows of support from, like, all the New Yorkers and stuff, like, in the first Raimi movie and, like, in the second one, too, I think. And, I mean, this might sound a little insensitive, but that kind of, like, I think that was, like, some post-9-11 kind of, like, you know pandering i guess i I don't want to sound insensitive or anything but that's like that's pretty much what it was i I mean i i I don't know about like pandering but i mean i definitely think it has that post 9-11 vibe to it um and and i don't disagree that the cranes and that scene are similar do you know what i mean like they both serve the same purpose it's it's a group of people that really have nothing to do with Spider-Man personally deciding to help him of their own volition. Well, see, I was going to add, just to throw this in really quick, like, I I thought that scene was better in essence because it was about Peter helping one person who then, like, passes on the favor. Yeah. Well, to me, like, I, I think that scene, though, the catalyst, as he calls it, like, that catalyst scene... I don't know, like, I don't see why anybody wouldn't be on the edge of their goddamn seat for that scene. I mean, to me, I was like, is he going to fucking save that kid? God, I hope that kid doesn't fall into the fucking river. Like, holy shit, the kid's going to die. Wait, no, he got him. Like, that was kind of my thought processes while I was watching that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, to me, that was very gripping edge of your seat and he takes off his mask to say come on buddy like it's cool like i'm not gonna fucking eat you like i just want to save your fucking life you know like like all that kind of stuff like i don't know i i i thought the catalyst for it was great i mean as far as i I know like when i was talking to thum you know on thum's podcast you know tim you know he he kind of hates both those scenes so it, it just just in my thinking of it like a lot of people don't see any difference between the crane and the uh, the New Yorkers, I guess, sticking up for Spider-Man in the first movie. So in, in that aspect of it, I don't see how you can criticize one over the other. To me, I'm like, if you're going to think that the crane thing is contrived, then you might as well think, uh, you know, the New Yorkers picking up garbage and throwing it at the uh, Power Ranger uh, Bible Colton <laughs> Goblin is... Uh, is just as contrived. I mean, I don't know. That's that's my take on it. I agree with that. I'd, I'd like to point out, too, that, like, in the Raimi films, it seems like Spider-Man is, like, universally beloved by everyone in New York, which is pretty much diametrically opposite from, like, every other portrayal of Spider-Man. So that kind of, like, always kind of annoyed me. You know, CGI masses of people that cheer for you are 
CGI. Cheery, because yeah, no, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have anything to say to that. I don't. I I just I I felt like well, what's you know, where's the you know, he's an outsider angle, and you know, Jameson. Obviously, Jameson's not in amazing, but like it seems like Jameson is just a loon in the Raimi movies. As amusing as he is, it's like. You know, the whole point of him was he's turning the city against Spider-Man, but, like, if he doesn't have that, then he's just some lone voice, like, a, like you know, screaming out in, into the sky at random, pretty much. So do we want to talk about the whole, uh, I guess, his, his problem with the lizard, you know? Like, I mean, I, all, all I can say to that is, like, have you read Spider-Man comics? Like, I mean, there's so many, like, I mean, th- this was the... the, the the fallout between Steve Ditko and Stan Lee way back in the day. It's like, does, does the green goblin turn out to be somebody that Spider-Man knows, or does it turn out to be some guy he's never heard of before and has no idea who it is? You know, and Ditko was all for it being this unknown person that had no connection to Peter Parker's life. And, you know, Stan Lee wanted it to be, Norman Osborn because it was some kind of payoff for people who had been reading about all these supporting characters and the reveal, you know, to them meant something, I guess, in terms of the context of the story. So, I mean, you've always, I mean, come on, the Molten Man. I mean, the Molten Man is fucking, you know, Liz Allen's brother and Liz Allen's married to Harry Osborn, who is the son of the Green Goblin, who is like, you know, the enemy of Spider-Man, but he's best friends with Peter. I mean, you know, you're talking about contrivances. I mean, it, you know, the, the whole, you know, I, I know, you know, he's talking about embracing comic book logic and all this other stuff. But I mean, to me, it's like that. All that to me, all the lizard stuff. That's that. That's what it is. I mean, if you if if you really hate all that so much, then then you just have to love. I don't know. To me, it's like you must love. You know, like when they they try to you know sp- quote unquote spruce up comic book movies by like you know inventing uh, you know like you know leather outfits for the X Men so that they can you know yuck it up about yellow tights and you know things that, you know, quote-unquote, make sense in the context of the quote-unquote real world. It's like, I don't know, that's just me, you know. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I, I didn't have a problem with it, because that's, like, the way it's always been, pretty much, you know. Of course it's going to be, you know, connected somehow. Otherwise, there's no, like, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I agree with Ditko, where you're like, come on, man, you know, like, okay, but... I do agree with Stan Lee that there's like sometimes there's no emotional payoff unless you do it that way. So, like I, I always felt like like mysteries like that, you know, it's like you'd, you'd want you know the Hobgoblin to at least be somebody, you know, that you knew, you know. So it's like you know whether it's you know they're trying they were trying to make it like oh is it Flash Thompson is it Ned Leeds you know and you know and then eventually you know they kind of you know way later kind of said, oh, it was Roderick Kingsley, you know? But it's like, at least all those guys were sort of... Like, I always hate, you know, mysteries, whether they're in comics or, you know, I I guess you couldn't really do this in a film, but it's like, how could you just pluck somebody who's never been... You know, it'd be like doing a Star Trek movie, and you're like, oh, who's the evil bad guy? You know, who's killing us all? And then you haven't seen lore for, like, the entire movie, and then you're like, it's lore! (laughs) And you're just kind of like, but... You didn't even, like, I mean, you know, there has to be some kind of setup. I don't know. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know. But, uh, 
you know, I guess I guess another thing he's he's grumpy about is the connection to Peter's parents and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I guess, you know, look, if you think it's contrived, then there, there's probably not too much, you know, that we can do about it. I'm sure there's other people who agree with uh, with Deke who think a lot of that stuff is contrived and stuff like that. I don't know if that means it's worse than, you know, like uh, Sam Raimi's film or whatever. You know, it's like, I mean, they've got the whole, you know, Harry, you know, Norman school, you know, thing, you know, it's like, oh, well, the, the only thing is that Uncle Ben doesn't play poker with Norman Osborn, but it's like, they still got Aunt May making turkeys, and Norman Osborn's carving the damn turkey, I mean, come on, like, I mean, that's, you know, it's like, to me, that's just as, like, silly as, you know, thinking, like, you know, it's like, at least Kurt Connors isn't over there carving turkeys with uh, Sally Field <laughs> and shit, you know, like, I don't know, but, uh, okay, so, uh, we're almost done here. I think I'll just read the rest of it, and then uh, and then if there's anything else we want to say, we can uh, respond to it. But I'll just read the last couple bits, because they're all kind of one-liners. Uh, speaking of clumsy writing, what about Uncle Ben's with great power speech? Hokey in the Raimi films? Sure. Flat-out terrible and overly wordy in Amazing Spider-Man. Your dad said that if you have the ability to do something, blah, 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 terrible. Also terrible, the lizard's plan to turn New York into all lizards. And his super ability to call lizards to him? Is that what was going on? Why were all the lizards running around the sewer? Lame. Uh, the Raimi films also had perhaps the very best adaptation of a background Marvel character ever in J. Jonah Jameson. Their performance was great. A perfect transition from comic to screen. In Amazing Spider-Man, we get Dennis Leary, who I like, but he's doing the same basic thing he does in everything. He's Dennis Leary being Dennis Leary. Anyway, after seeing it a second time, I just had a different reaction to ASM than you guys. I found it overlong, plotting and boring for the most of it, while lacking the sweetness and heart of the Raimi films. Garfield's Peter was all hipstered up with a skateboard and an attitude. Uh, parentheses, did Michael Bay help write this? Not at all the gentle science nerd. Not that you care, but you did ask for angry emails, so take that, rawr. Uh, it's li it literally, it's Rar is written. I didn't just make that up. Um, <laughs> well done, well done, Deke. Well yeah. done. So hope you the next podcast. Deke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hope the next podcast comes out soon, guys. Despite our different takes on ASM, you're still fun to listen to. So uh, yeah, well, I mean, we appreciate the emails. We like getting feedback one way or the other. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter if you don't agree with us. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of things that I think that people don't agree with me on. So I'm still waiting for a bunch of angry emails about uh, you know why Starfire is uh, not uh, you know whatever. But uh, you know, but um, you know, uh, I guess. Uh, just the last couple things was uh, Uncle Ben and the Lizard. Well, the Lizard's always had the power to talk. To yeah, I was yeah. going to say, he's, he's, that's always been, a, from his very first comic appearance, he's always had a telepathic link with, like, yeah. other, with reptiles With reptiles in general, in general yeah. like, he could talk to, like, crocodiles and all kinds of shit, right? So, I don't, I mean, you know, if you think that's lame, that's one thing. Like, that's fine, like, you know, but then, you know, I don't want any people uh, yelling at me about why DC Comics is lame, because the lizard can talk to lizards, so leave DC Comics alone! <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that's, I, that's all I really have to I was going to say, that. like, his, his plan wasn't to make everyone into lizards. His plan was to make everyone like him, which circumstantially, yes, meant that everyone would have become a giant lizard. 
but, you know, he wasn't exactly thinking clearly, like, under the influence of whatever, the serum or whatever. And, you know, he even snaps back to normal at the end and, like, helps, like, pull Peter up when he's, like, changing back to human. So, you know, he couldn't have been thinking clearly or anything. Well, I mean, I, I don't know, if, you know, again, I don't know if you need to have this scene spelled out for you in a monologue, but, you know, if you really need the Jurassic Park scene where, uh, you know, John Hammond comes in and goes, Oh, there is the mammalian part of the brain and the lizard part of the brain. Uh, when Connors drinks the serum, the lizard, you know, the reptilian part of the brain becomes big and huge and messes up the mammalian part of the brain, you know, and like, you know, just basically explaining why he's like all zonked out and, you know, trying to do all this kooky shit because he has, you know, this kind of reptilian nature instead of, uh, you know, the nature of a human being. But... I mean, to me, I just kind of, you know, I just took it as it was. Yeah, exactly. You know? I was just kind of like, this is the way it is. So, you know, I didn't have to think about it that much. But yeah. Can I just say that I absolutely hate it, hate it, hate it when they try to forcibly insert with great power comes great responsibility into, like, actual dialogue? Like, I, I, I don't know. I'll take, like, Martin Sheen's, like, basic rundown of the that phrase, like over, like, you know, Cliff Robertson actually having to, like, insert it into dialogue, so... Yeah, you can say it. I mean, we're, we're, we're on a podcast, we're talking, you can say whatever the hell you want, man. <laughs> well, like, thank God I have permission. Yeah, yeah. But it's called handholds, not what you yeah. like. Yeah, 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 so... I don't I felt like it was better that Martin Sheen had to, like, actually, like, you know, give a, you know, hundred-word summary of the idea rather than just having to, like, you know, that clumsy analogy that Cliff Robertson has to, like, get through where he's like, you know, just because you can beat Flash up doesn't mean you should, you know? Well, you know, you know what's funny, too, is I think, uh, I know he's talking about that the movie's lacking the sweetness, but, I mean, I don't know, I, I really thought that Martin Sheen and Sally Field had a, a good deal of chemistry, just like, you know, uh, Garfield and Emma Stone did, and to me, that was sweet, you know? I mean, I know I know people make fun of, you know, the stuttering and the, um, um, let's go out and have a date, um, um, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, to me, it's just that, that awkward teen phase and that excitement, and you don't know what to say next, and you're, you're kind of struck by the thunderbolt, and you really like this girl, and you're, you're kind of, you know, and, and she, she's kind of into you, and, you know... I, I mean, to me, like, I, I don't see how that's not sweet. And, and, and the whole, you know, oh, uh, you know, your aunt makes that horrible food, like, don't tell her and all that, you know, just, I mean, it just seems like really real, you know, like, and, and it's not, it's not like, you know, you know, saying, oh, you make a shitty pot pie, you know, or whatever like that. I'm not trying to say like, oh, that's sweet, but it's like, I don't know. It just seems like it's one of those things where it's very endearing, you know, it's like, oh, they're, they're real people. And, you know, I don't know. I, I never, I, I don't think I ever saw a scene with, uh, you know, uh, what is it, uh, Cliff Robertson, and I can't remember who the uh, the the other uh, British lady who played Aunt May was, but, uh, you know, like, I, I don't remember a scene with them where I was like, oh, they've been a couple for a long time. Do you know what I mean? And whereas this, like, that scene with, with uh, Sally Field and Martin Sheen, I was kind of like, oh, they've clearly been a couple like they clearly have been together for a long time and 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 you even though there's kind of some some uh 
you know, some some abrupt things said, you know, it's like, oh, well, but underneath it all, there was like a lot of love. To me, it's like there were a lot of layers to it, you know, and stuff like that. And I think when, you know, when when they kind of have that scene and, I, I you know, I just I, I, I to me, like that part of it touched me more than I, I, I don't think, you know, when there was the big funeral in the Raimi film, it just seemed like it was this studio movie funeral that didn't really have any substance behind it. It was just set to like some narration where it's like, oh, this is how Spider-Man comics are. And we got to we got to have some narration where I will be the Spider-Man and I will not tell <laughs> tell the girl I really love who I really am because I have great power and great responsibility. And now we're going to do a CGI clip of me web swinging away, you know, or whatever, however that movie ends. Whereas, you know, when, when they did the funeral scene in this, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, man. I don't know that that whole thing just tore me up, you know, like, I, I don't know. So to me, I don't know. I, I felt a lot more of my heart invested in that movie, but you know, I, I know obviously, you know, he's just saying we had different reactions to the movie and I'm just kind of emphasizing that, I guess. Also, uh, I would, I will take Dennis Larry's like ultimate Captain Stacy, who actually contributes to the plot over James Cromwell's lip service, Captain Stacy, who doesn't do anything in that movie. Well, remember, remember, we're totally not counting Spider-Man 3. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess I can't bring that up. So, <laughs> Didn't happen. It didn't exist. Like, it never happened. I, I don't know. I don't even like Spider-Man 1. Like, I'll, I'll go to bat for Spider-Man 2, but, you know, but that's just me. And And I don't know if it's like... I don't think it has anything to do with popularity or whatever. Like, I always felt that way. Like, I remember I was unpopular, actually, because I had that opinion. I remember coming out of the theater when I saw Spider-Man and people being like, so what'd you think, man? What'd you think? It was awesome, right? It was awesome. And I just kind of went, eh. And they're like, what? You know, like, <laughs> you're crazy. Like, that was awesome. And I'm just kind of like. I think I, I, was, I was just so, like, blown away that I had just seen, like, an actual, like, Spider-Man movie that I, like, kind of overlooked, you know, a lot of things back then, and, like, over the years, re-watching it, I was kind of like, eh, you know what, this movie does have a lot of problems. But, yeah, so, uh, so basically, that was, uh, that was, a uh, angry fan mail, um, so we wanted to read that on air and, uh, you know, kind of go over some of the points, and then, you know, we just figured we'd like to chat about a few of the points that were made and kind of uh, think of this as an addendum to the uh, the podcast Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man podcast, you know, Podcast 57 or whatever. So, uh, yeah. Thanks, Deke. Thanks, thanks Deke. for letting us Thanks for letting us tear you a new one on air. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but thanks thanks to Deke. We're still cool. We're no, still no, cool. No, seriously, we... though. Thanks to Deke for, for listening to the podcast and also, uh, you know, sending us feedback because... You know, it's good to get feedback and know, you know, what what people's thoughts are on stuff. And, you know, people don't always agree, but that doesn't mean that we don't share common interests and, uh, you know, enjoy, uh, you know, we enjoy reading the emails and hearing what, what he has to say about it. Because, you know, it's stimulation for the brain and everybody likes to kind of have discussions and topics and everything like that. I mean, that's what that's what fan holes is all about.